I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hi everyone, welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm Billy Ray. I'm Joel. And uh, today I'm going to be doing the outline of the episode. Joel's going to be doing all of the trivia fun facts. And we're doing season one, episode 11, Move On. Yes. Guys, this is this is a good episode. We've got two very good guest characters that are introduced in this episode. We've got Felicia Tillman. Yep, who's one of my favourites, like, all-time characters. Very good character, fan favourite. And we've got George Williams, also mm. fan favourite. Who's one of your favourites. He's one of my favourites. Like, you love George. I really like George. George is, <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. I don't know why. <laughs> all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I love a good weirdo. Mm. So, do you have any fun facts that you'd like to get us started with? Sure. So, it is written by David Schollner and directed by John Coles, and it airs on January 9th, 2005. The episode title, Move On, comes from the Stephen Sondheim musical Sunday in the Park with George, which, coincidentally, I also think (laughs) is an episode later on this season, if I remember correctly. During Julie's birthday party, somebody else sang the song that Nicolette Sheridan, or Edie, sings, and she just sort of lip-synced over the track. Oh, okay. Which was really good because the amount of times I've seen season one and I've never picked up on the fact that she lip synced that. Sounds just like her. Like it, right? And it was very well done. So, you know, she could give a few drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race a run for their money. Uh, Originally, they were also going to have Huber buried alive so that she could come back for a future episode and then it changed to the death that we did get with the blender and then Paul strangling her, but they still wanted it left open for her to come back. But eventually they decided that it wasn't really believable. So they just cut that completely and she gets cremated or something I think later on but basically they've they left it so that it wasn't a possibility for her to come back in the end that's a bit dark just I I just don't think I would have appreciated her coming back I don't think I would have appreciated her being buried alive (laughs) what no but well well, yeah he's not that sadistic old Paul Young I don't know (laughs) and uh, Mark Cherry said that Roger Bart who plays George Williams is in his top three guest stars for season one because he plays George so deliciously wicked and subtle and Mark was originally hesitant to cast him because Roger is more known for Broadway musicals like the producers oh I didn't want to like ruin his reputation yeah well I didn't really explain why he was a bit (laughs) hesitant but I'm assuming because he was more stage actory he wasn't quite sure he'd fit but um, but yeah that's all of it so let's get into episode 11 move on Mary Alice narrates that Edie doesn't understand why she doesn't have any female friends she pretends that it doesn't bother her but it really does we then see Edie meeting Martha Huber for the first time and we see a montage of Martha and Edie hanging out with Martha disparaging the way Edie dresses, her taste in men, you know, just best friend stuff in general really. After she finishes narrating, we see a taxi pull up and a lady steps out and tells Edie that her name is Felicia Tillman, Martha Huber's sister. She basically tells Edie that she isn't worried about Martha as she has an intense bond with her sister and she's very aware that she's dead. (laughs) (laughs) No, Edie, she's dead. Edie insists that Martha is just missing, but Felicia insists that she's definitely dead and expresses her relief over this as Martha was a, and I'm going to quote this, wretched pig of a woman and the day she died, this world became a better place, end quote. (laughs) 
and then we got to the title sequence. <laughs> Introduced immediately into why Felicia is my favourite character. She's so nonchalant and just matter-of-fact about how she feels about her dead sister. It's a girl coming from my own heart now. <laughs> <laughs> if my sister listens to this, I'm kidding. She actively acknowledges that Martha was a horrid woman. <laughs> well, I mean, she's saying what we're all thinking, guys. Yeah, well, yeah, true. Because Edie, in that scene, that was a lot of pink. Uh, your entire outfit was pink. Shoes, bag, shirt, cardigan, all pink. Choices. Yes. You can tone it down a bit. It's like when I was 17 and I went through this phase of having white shorts with a white jacket and then like a light yellow t-shirt. And it was just horrible <laughs> looking back. Yeah, it's not good. Do you have any pictures? <laughs> Probably somewhere. I've got to see these pictures. I still own that yellow shirt. It's just not yellow anymore from where it's been worn and washed so much. We need to find these pictures because <laughs> I, I need to see them and then I need to post them onto our page. It's not good. It's not good. So the police hold a neighbourhood meeting about Mrs. Hoover's disappearance appearance. Edie gives a speech and ends up crying and hugging one of the police officers and then the ladies talk about how creepy they find Felicia. Yeah I mean the fact that the women just chill at the edge of the garden I find to be so bitchy. They're like the mean girls of yeah. the neighbourhood aren't they? Like in the previous scene where we see Edie like it shows us a you know, flashback of Edie moving onto the lane mm -hmm. and she waves at the women and then as soon as Edie turns around the women start to like whisper and mutter to each other. They're the cheerleaders of Wisteria Lane, like the popular girls that always judge from the outside and everyone wants to be a part of. Yeah, this is something we haven't discussed, but our main four are the mean girls. They they're really not, are. They're not as sweet and innocent as, well, actually, they don't even appear that sweet and innocent, but they're our main, so we root for them. Yeah, but they um, are they are the mean girls of Desperate Housewives. Yep. They're there for the gossip. They're not yeah. there to help. <laughs> Brie is in the hospital with Andrew and Danielle and tells them that she doesn't want Rex to come home. This upsets the kids and Brie says that they would feel the same if they knew what he had done. But in the end, she agrees to let him come back home until he gets better. I think it's smart for the kids to say to Brie. I mean, they didn't do it the right way. They pretty much like blackmailed her or embezzled her, whatever word you want to use, Just into doing this decision. That's the word, yeah. thank you. They emotionally manipulated her, but I do think that if Brie doesn't take Rex home to care for him, she will feel bad about it. Oh, yeah. She will feel guilty, so I do think that this is the smartest move for Brie, because otherwise it's just going to eat away at her and she'll feel bad. Yeah. Because a, there is still a lot of love there. As a conservative Christian woman, this is like her obligation in her mind. It would be one of her regrets. Yeah. And I appreciate that Brie didn't just straight up tell Andrew. Yeah. Which is surprising, considering the little marital war games they've been playing with the kids in previous yeah. episodes. So it was, I appreciated Brie not, in this instance, bringing her children into the marital problems. So Gabby's talking to her lawyer about how she's running out of money because of what's happening with Carlos, because, you know, people keep repossessing things, mm. to which her maid says that she should sell her jewellery, as most of it she doesn't wear, and it's ugly anyway. <laughs> ugly jewellery. Gabby would never... <laughs> The lawyer asks about Carlos's passport, but Gabby lies and says that she still hasn't found it yet. The maid, Yao Lin, is just... This woman's had enough. Brilliant. She's able to just sort of slap Gabby down when she's yeah. getting too much. <laughs> Perfect. Every scene with Yao Lin, snap, 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 mic drop. Right? <laughs> she just goes for Gabby. Vicious. I love it. Any opportunity she can. <laughs> Carl walks into Susan's house and wants her to sign some tax forms. Susan introduces him to Mike and then Mike leaves to grab something for the plumbing. So this is the first time that Carl and Mike have met each other. The tension is real, guys. Yeah, it is. 
Susan then pretends not to know that Carl and Brandy have broken up and asks him to give her best wishes to Brandy because she found out that him and Brandy broke up in the last episode because Julie told her. Yes. So she's just getting that in there. She's just, how's Brandy? Susan, you know how Brandy is. Don't give, be like that. Give Brandy my best wishes. Oh. Yeah, in hell. Yeah. Um, he tells her that they've broken up and he goes in for a hug. Mike then walks in just as he is going in for the hug, but then he just sneaks off because he can kind of see it's awkward. Yeah. And Susan's just like, I don't know, I'm sorry, just go away, it's fine. Yeah. And um, Susan then invites him to Julie's birthday party. Bit of word vomit there, I think. A little bit. I do just want to say, Brandy and Carl broke up because Carl walked in on Brandy in bed with another man, which is how Susan caught Carl, I yeah. believe. There is some justice in there somewhere, I think. How the turntables. <laughs> <laughs> There's justice, and you can see it on Susan's face that she is loving it. This is full-on karma. But Carl is so sleazy. He's gross. He spends the entire episode trying to, like, kick Mike down for his job and try and convince Susan that he's the best one and she won't find any passion or spark like they ever had with anybody else. It's just Yeah, this gross. is where that starts. So, yeah. in this scene, he says about how Mike is nice, but is she really going to have that passion that they had of something? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's insinuated at least it this might not be those words this plays but... out this plays out yeah. the episode yeah but Julie gets a karaoke party <laughs> karaoke seems to be huge in America I'd love a karaoke party Lynette tries to talk to Tom about buying a water heater, but Tom just wants to go to bed, which I I feel that. I don't think the bedroom is the place to be talking about your bills and your problems and all your stuff. Let's just go to bed, Lynette. Let's leave it at the door before you enter the bedroom, yeah? I mean, being an adult is so dull. If that's what being an adult means, is to be in bed with your partner and start talking about tomorrow's purchases. I mean, I can't believe that we're about to go off on a tangent after the first sentence of this scene, but why not just talk about this stuff when you get home before you yeah. go to bed. Also, she's like, I just want to plan my day. Lynette, excuse me, I have my days planned days in advance. You want to plan your day at night? The, the night, night before. before? Come on. I pl I have my days planned in my head way in advance, okay? And then if something <laughs> starts to deviate from that plan, I start to get stressed. You guys, for a business and management person, Lynette is so disorganized. Mm. Joel is a business and management person, and he does, yeah, like you wow. just said, days before. Like days before. I can't sit in bed and be like, okay, so tomorrow, nope. what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do tomorrow? I can't do that. I already know tomorrow what I'm doing already right now. I know I'm going to be laying on that sofa, binge watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills all day. Still furloughing. We're not just lazy. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. I'm furloughed. <laughs> but because this one's got work, <laughs> I've got nothing else to do. We'll, we'll, we'll make plans to go see my family, right? Like weeks in advance, all my friends or something. Mm. And he'll be like, what time are we meant to be leaving on that day? And I'm like, I don't know. We haven't days, spoke about it yet. And days in advance. This will be days in advance. And I'm like, I don't know. We'll just, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And he's like, no, I need to know. I need, I need a strict schedule. I need, I to, need know. to know. So that I know what time to wake up. I can plan my day around that. I'm very aware. Oh, if we're going to be leaving at 11, then I need to make sure I'm up by this point so I can shower and I can eat. And I can just give myself some time before we go to his family's or before we go to his friends where I can just have a moment to myself because the day I will be sat with other people people being on and present 
this is where our OCD tendencies differ a little bit because I like to be neat and clean and tidy and make sure that all of my events are in my calendar and they're all lined up. But when it comes to the day-to-day -day minutiae and timings, I'm not too bothered as much. I am. I don't know why I raised my hand like you guys could see. People can't see that. He, Joel, <laughs> Joel raises his hand. <laughs> Moving on. Yes, carry on with the scene. <laughs> this tangent's gone on for far too long. She then asks if he sorted out the coffee machine, to which he says no, and Lynette basically sends him off to sort out the coffee machine. So... Another tangent. Sorry, Lynette, why can't you do that yourself? Why can't Claire do it? I mean, true. But Tom is laying down in bed, eyes closed, trying to sleep. You're the one, Lynette, that's staying awake to plan your day. Why don't you get up? Just do it the next morning. Do the coffee. Well, I don't know, have instant. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he goes downstairs just as Claire's taken off her nightgown and thrown it in the washing machine because she's spills something on it. And he catches her in the nude. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Claire finds this really embarrassing, but Tom looks really pleased about this. He then goes back to bed and has adult cuddles with Lynette. Oh, mm. so gross. The next morning, Claire comes downstairs and tells Lynette about how he saw her naked last night, much to Lynette's surprise, as Tom failed to mention this. Mm. Okay, so I've got a few thoughts right here. First of all, do they need a live-in nanny? A what? A live-in nanny. Oh, was Claire's in yeah, Claire obviously is living there. It's never really been stated, but you can assume it from, you know, past scenes. Honestly, no. Lynette doesn't have a job. So, yeah, it's fine for you to have a nanny. There is There are a lot of children you know you've got a lot of stuff going on but you don't have a job so do you need a live-in nanny i don't think so no i don't get why you know she Lynette could... can't mother for the first few hours of the day until she arrives yeah and go about her day-to-day -day business she could just have like claire could just be like a standard nanny that comes over i don't know so tom going to give lynette adult cuddles after he is aroused by claire's nude body yes um... what are your thoughts on this Oh, oh dear. Do you believe that Tom did something bad? Kinda. Mm. I mean, he can't help what arouses him, but he really should have told her. He should have told her. Like, no, no, I completely agree. You know, you can't you can't help what arouses you. What arouses you arouses you. And it was nice of Claire to straight up tell her. Yeah. Because that proves that, you know, Claire doesn't have any bad intentions. Bless you, Claire. So well done to you, Claire, for being open and honest because there was no hidden intentions. Not saying that Tom had hidden intentions, mm. but keeping it to himself insinuates that. Gabby takes a portfolio to try and get some work and she gets offered a few different modelling jobs but she's not really happy with any of the suggestions. So after a bit of tough love, she takes the first job she was offered as a car model. Yeah. We then cut to Brie and Rex back at home and Rex is trying to apologise to Brie for cheating on her but she's not having any of it. He then insists that she still loves him as he prepared his lunch really neatly with the good china. But Brie tells him not to confuse her anal retentiveness for actual affection and mic drop. Yes. It must be horrible for Brie. You know, you find out that your husband's cheated on you. He has some sort of secret fetishes that you're not quite sure about yet. And then you have to take him home and wait on him hand and foot. He's a dirty cheater. Like, Brie, how she doesn't poison his food. Right. I, I don't know, because I probably would have. The disrespect. He better be grateful for this. I mean, he is, and he did offer an apology, but what does that do, really? That, that is probably one of my favourite Brie lines ever. Please don't excuse my anal retentiveness for actual affection. Yep, <laughs> love that. 
Susan and Mike are making out on the sofa when Mike tells Susan that he loves her. This throws off Susan a little who can't say it back and Mike says it's fine, they haven't been dating for that long and she's got some issues right now. Susan takes this very badly and asks what issues he's talking about and this leads to an awkward conversation about her and Carl. Susan insists that she has no feelings for Carl, like as in she doesn't love him etc. And he'll see that when he comes to Julie's birthday party tomorrow, which he will be attending despite any prior arrangements. <laughs> I mean... The L word was soon. He said like, the L word. He He's moving so quickly here. <laughs> he's bringing out all of the cards. Also, why is he doing this? Why is he bringing up this conversation? It's like, I love you, but I know you still love your ex. It's really out of character as well, because Mike seems like such a reserved, mysterious guy, and he's like, love you. Yeah, he just seems like such a chilled out dude. For him to then be like, I know you still love your ex, but still be willing to make out with her on the sofa and tell, the, tell her that you love her. Me and Joel didn't use the L word until about two and a half, three months into our relationship. Yeah, but how long has it been for this? True, although it ha it can't have been that long. They're only just on the search party. Surely it's only been a few weeks, right? I would imagine so, but there is like, I say history there. Like they have clearly been after each other for a while and yeah. the stars just weren't aligned, <laughs> as they say. Like every time they've made a date, something's happened. Yeah. Susan's either rooted through his cupboards or she's burnt down a house or Kendra turned up. Yeah. So <laughs> something's always got in the way. Timing's so. been off. Yeah. So, Bree is at the pharmacy picking up Rex's medication and we're introduced to the pharmacist, George. Woo! This is the first time that we see George people, but we are made aware that Bree has seen George before because she says, Hello George, how are you? You're always so polite, etc. Yeah. So George is a, like a, a character that they know, but this is our first time seeing him. Yes. He's very polite to Bree and they have a conversation about Rex's condition. She sees a sickly old man being cared for by a woman and this freaks her out as she thinks that this will be her future with Rex. So she spontaneously asks George out to dinner. How well does she know him? Like, she knows him as a pharmacist. She can walk up to him and say, hello, George, you're always so polite. Yeah, he's the but... polite pharmacist. I think that's about it. Yeah, and you're just asking him out on a date and then the fact that you have to cover your wedding ring because he was like, oh, aren't you married? And then she covers her wedding ring and says, we're separated. You're clearly not loved because you're still wearing the wedding ring. Come on, Brie. <laughs> like, Brie, you are pushing yourself into something when you aren't ready and feelings are going to be hurt. She just needs to get this out of her system. Yeah. If only she chose someone else. If only she chose if someone only. else. But we'll get, we'll, 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 we'll get to we'll that. We'll see that. We'll see that eventually. I'm so happy. I like George. I know you do. He's a, I like I him as a character. I find him fascinating. It. He's a great actor. All of the ladies... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still thinking about George. <laughs> this is what my life is like. <laughs> he still thinks about George. All of the ladies and some of the neighbours begin their search for Martha's body in the woods. And while they're having a walk, Susan tells the other ladies that Mike told her that he loves her. So they all scream in excitement, which everyone else mistakenly takes as them finding Mrs. Hoover's body. Yeah. They all just run over like, they oh, found, the, found body. the body. They found the body. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 we didn't find the body. Susan just got some really good news. Edie looks so good in this scene. Like, it's just like a casual outfit, but it's something that I would wear. <laughs> Shawl, and then she throws it over her shoulder. And she's like, ugh, typical Susan making it all about her. And just walks off. Yeah, I kind of reckon that she planned this outfit for body hunting. Oh, that, that's good, good. It's a good spot. I don't appreciate Susan ruining Martha Hooper's character. Why wouldn't she do? People fake their own abductions all the time. Oh, did she say that? She literally says that. What are you trying to say about Hooper? What are you trying to say about 
about people. Who fakes their own abduction? You're saying that Hoover faked her own abduction? Happens all the time. Where did you grow up? Why would that happen? Why would Hoover fake her own abduction? Oh, well, I don't know. You ladies have some weird lives. Yeah. (laughs) Gabby is modelling the car at the mall when she sees Tom and Annette coming down an escalator. She tries to hide from them, but her dress gets stuck on the turntable and one of the car workers has to help her out. Annette and Tom see her, so she pretends that she's just checking out the car with her with one of her friends whilst dressed in this overly formal gown. It's it's just her mall outfit. She yeah. wears it all the time. <laughs> it's just my beautiful, luxurious dress that I wear when I go to the mall. It's, it's great dress. Beautiful. I would wear that dress. She looks so uncomfortable. Well, she's embarrassed. Like, she is embarrassed. And you've got nothing to be embarrassed about, girl. Like, you're just stooping down to the world of work, like, as regular people. Yeah. We all have to do it. I mean, you're technically one step above the net. You are. At least you've got a job. (laughs) (laughs) But no kids, so I guess the scales are in balance there. True. Just a little bit. Brie walks into the lounge, all ready for her date with George, wearing a sexy red dress with her hair all done up. Rex asks why she's all dressed up, and she tells him that she's going on a date with George, the pharmacist. I intend to French the hell out of him. <laughs> the most uncomfortable sentence. George shows up to the house and Bree tells him to say hi to Rex and that even though she and Rex are technically still together, they are emotionally separated and then they leave to go on the date. And before they leave, she leaves the two of them in the room together alone and it's so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. I feel so sorry for George. Why would you do this to him? Like, it's clear that Bree's just using him because she's not hiding it. Yeah. Like, she's not hiding it very well at all. Yeah, this is really mean. This isn't a very nice moment for Brie, actually. It's not a nice moment for Brie. And then Rex sits down and explains to George, like, that Brie's clearly using him and, you know, he engaged in some extracurricular activity. Why can't he just say cheated? Right. Just say cheated. You cheated, Rex. Don't try and sugarcoat it with, you know, fancy lingo. Yeah. You philanderer. You're a dirty man. (laughs) Lynette and Tom are leaving the mall when she tells Tom that she knows he saw Claire naked the other night before they made love. In the car, Tom says that Claire is a good nanny and it would be wrong to lose her over this, and Lynette says that what's worrying is that he won't admit that he finds Claire attractive. After having to stop the car until he admits it, holding up all of the traffic, Tom tells her that although Claire is attractive, there's no danger there and Lynette is the only gal for him. Okay, Tom, you can tiptoe around a minefield like nobody's business. I'm telling you that right now. Can't he just? He has an <laughs> amazing ability of really angering Lynette (laughs) and being able to wade through that storm. But Lynette, don't bring up this conversation in the middle of a mall. And not like that. Oh, I saw you like the saleswoman that sold us this water heater was really curvy. You like that, don't you, Tom? That's what you like, (laughs) isn't it? You know, just like Claire, the woman that you saw naked. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I would wait until you're home and bring it up at home, not in the middle of a mall, and just say, by the way, Tom, I heard you saw Claire naked. Were you ever going to tell me? Also, Lynette is so not classy, holding up the entire queue to get out of the, she the, is really the, out of the car park like this. Someone even knocks on the windows. It's, she's like, we'd all like to leave. Is there a problem? She's like, yes, my husband won't admit that he finds someone attractive or it, something. There's <laughs> lust in his heart. <laughs> 
But Tom didn't answer the question. No, he did not. He's, he did not. He's really good at that old twinkle toes. Let's move on because yeah, this because... next scene is Julie's birthday party. It's a good scene. This is so good. Susan, Mike and Carl are at Julie's birthday party who's just finished singing the number with her friends and then they run upstairs to check out the dance floor. Edie then walks in and Carl tells Susan that he invited her as his date which clearly annoys Susan and then Edie and Carl start making out. Oh, it's really weird. What, that he invited Edie as his date of all people? Well, Where yeah. has this come from? Where's it, how is he talking to Edie? Has he remained in contact with her? Have they did, like, catch up on the 2005 equivalent of Tinder? Whatever that would have been. Uh, Plenty of fish? I don't, I don't know. know. Christian Mingle? <laughs> I get the feeling Edie and Carl would not be seen on Christian Mingle. You guys, this hasn't been brought up at all. Carl and Edie haven't properly been seen together. This no. is so out of the blue. Completely out of the blue. I don't get how he's got Edie's contact details. Unfortunately, we do have to cut away, but we'll be back. We so, will be back. Brie thanks George for their date when Andrew comes up to George's car to ask what's going on. She tells Andrew that they went on a date, which really annoys Andrew, and he says that she's still married. He asks if they're going to have sex, and Brie snaps back, No, because I don't commit adultery like your father. And I, oh, <laughs> oh, I don't think she meant for that to slip out. Well, she kept um, it to herself as long as possible, didn't she? Yeah. Andrew looks really shocked, but then accuses Brie of lying and runs back into the house. Mm. And poor George is just sitting there like, well, this is awkward, isn't it? Poor, poor George is like, I don't think I want to be involved in this. This whole <laughs> night has been a mess. They were leaning in to kiss, I believe, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. I don't get why they would do that outside of the house when Bree knows that Andrew is clearly very fragile right now mm. with this whole, like, his behaviour, the way he's been acting, running over one eater. Like, and you're dragging some new date out the front of your house to make out with him. This is Bree's problem. When she's so invested in her anger towards Rex, she forgets about everything else around it. Yeah, I do understand Andrew's uncomfortable anger here because, yes, Bree and Rex may be separated, but Andrew's not going to see that. Yeah. He's a child that sees his parents together in the same house. He's not going to see it on the same level. Andrew's a teenager. His emotions are already up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Gabby's trying to sort through all of the bills and paperwork by herself when all of the lights go out. So she calls the lawyer and tells him that she remembers where Carlos's passport is. She really is trying. Yeah, she's trying to do everything on her own about Carlos. She's got all of the bills and stuff laid out on the floor there. Mm. Like, she's got her music playing. This is exactly how I'd be doing it. I'd be like, girl, I need some music and some wine. And I'll pour the wine, I'll play the music, I'll lay everything out, and I'll be like, let's make a party of this. She doesn't even have a table no. to do it on. <laughs> she literally has everything thrown on the floor. She's trying it, and then the lights go out. I think that's where I'd crack. Yeah. Brie would come walking in to check on me, and I'll be in the corner, like, rocking in the darkness. Yeah, but... I'll go, I'll go Gabby. She's got it together. She's okay. She's doing okay. She's a fighter. Yeah. But enough of that because we go back to Julie's birthday party again. <laughs> Woo! So this is the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> Edie finishes performing a song on the stage, which everyone in the whole place seems to love. And then Carl asks Susan if she's going up next. She says no at first, but then Mike convinces her to go up and Susan decides to sing New York, New York. So Mike goes to tell the pianist. Edie then asks if she's scared to sing in front of everyone, and I quote, dressed like that. And Susan says she'll take her chances like Edie did with those high notes. <laughs> and that's some that was some major Edie sass. Yeah, I love Susan hold, and Edie. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got something just for this moment. I think you'll like it. Oh god, what? I just Edie sass. How did she do that? 
Is that you? Yeah, I made it. When? <laughs> just before. I was getting it ready. I just, I needed to make it ready for this moment. Oh my God. Well, not for this moment, for a moment. Yeah. Because there's so many. We need, to, we need to do a few of those. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I think that's really cool. <laughs> Our first podcast sting. Yes, is and that it's, what it's called? It's a sting, yeah. A sting. Like a little, little sound clip, yeah. Oh, check me out. I'm learning the lingo. <laughs> um, I love Susan and Edie's friendship because it's not a friendship, but they keep each other on their toes. It's like when two two gay guys meet How's and they they like throw sass at each other and then they throw it back. Oh, <laughs> and it's like it's almost like they they're using each other to sharpen their own wit. Yeah, I feel like Edie has this friendship with all her friends because her and Martha were like this as well. Her and Martha were like like that. earlier on. Martha's like judging her her outfits and judging the men she likes. Yeah, the thing <laughs> is, I think Martha knows that it's Edie's humor. Yeah, and it's not, and Susan and the other girls probably don't see it as humor. They see it as Edie being bitchy and rude. Yeah. So that's probably why Martha gets along so well with you, yeah. dude. <laughs> um, so Susan and Carl are having a conversation about their marriage because Carl says that Mike seems boring compared to him. And then Edie tells Susan about how Carl felt her up at a Christmas party while they were actually still married. Susan then has to go on stage to sing her song. And in between lyrics, she starts angrily shouting at Carl down the microphone, asking how many other women he's cheated on her with. Yeah, I mean, Edie kept this all to herself this the is... entire time. I don't remember when the Henderson's Christmas party was, so when, you know, Carl felt up Edie. But Edie kept this to herself the whole time. Yeah, this is some bad... This is bad. Kept this to yourself the entire time. You're supposed to be friends, and this is why Susan burnt down your house, Edie. You're alone. This is where Derek don't like you. <laughs> Sorry, Edie, this isn't one of your best moments. <laughs> this really isn't one of your best moments. Also, I guess Cole doesn't really like a challenge then. Oh! <laughs> I mean, I'm just are you trying saying... to say that Edie's not a challenge? She's easy. Well, I'm just easy, saying... Easy, Edie. Look at his track record. There's Edie at this Christmas party. Then he gets a Brandy. Brandy, who yeah. Who cheats on him anyway. Who else? Who so... else is there? <laughs> no wonder Susan is so angry. And this scene is so funny. When she's singing New York, New York... And in between the lyrics, she's shouting at him and then she's singing again. Yeah, so the, at the beginning of this scene, this is the scene where Edie was lip syncing yeah. her song. When I watched it, I was trying to keep my eye out for it. Couldn't see a slip up. It <laughs> sounded like Edie. It looked like her. So credit to her for I wonder, that. I wonder if I can find a sound clip of this this Susan singing a moment. If so, Probably. I'll, I'll play it right now. New York, New York, I wanna just tell you that the affair was one thing on some small level, I thought that you were in love with her, and now I find out you were just groping people at parties. <gasps> Top of the heap. Carl, don't you turn away from me. Look at me. Amazing. Okay, <laughs> I've only just let, noticed this when um we just like listened to it just then. That uh oh, that some random dude does in the audience when Susan says, "Don't turn your back at me," and then you hear, "Uh oh." <laughs> Amazing. And Mike looks so uncomfortable. He's so embarrassed. <laughs> Everyone is. Everyone awful. is embarrassed. But Mike's literally Except like... Edie. I reckon Edie loves this. Oh, Edie's loving this. This is Susan humiliating herself. But Mike like puts his hand to his head and everything. Oh, great. Paul notices that people on the street are being interviewed by the police and worries that it will eventually come back to him. So he digs up a piece of Martha Huber's jewellery and places it in Mike's garage, while Mary Alice narrates that new neighbours are often the most suspicious. 
It's surely it's dangerous to be digging up the body when they were just doing a search. I was thinking that. Wooded area. What kind of a stupid idea is this? Yeah. (laughs) Don't go back to the scene of the crime to re-dig up the body to take some jewellery and plant it somewhere. Just leave it. You're getting away with it right now. Just leave it. You don't need to put suspicion on other people because all that does is put you more at risk of getting your DNA over or whatever. True. God, he's such an idiot. What's he doing? <laughs> so, uh, we cut back to Lynette, Claire, and Tom. Um, Lynette and Claire are talking about Parker, worried that he's coming down with a cold or something worse, when Tom notices that Claire has boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Lynette sees Tom looking at Claire's boobs, and so Tom tells Claire that it's time to make some changes. The dirty pillows. Oh, poor Claire. <laughs> I feel really awful for Claire because she leaves her job to come to this, gets treated like rubbish by Lynette and then fired for having boobs. Right. You convinced her to leave her job and now you're going to fire her. Yeah. This this is so not cool. Also, I like to... I love the music that plays when Tom's staring at these boobs and they're like bouncing in slow motion almost. And is that like the music that plays in all straight guys' heads when they see like women running past or something? I just thought you were going to say Baywatch. Well, yeah, that too. But Claire wasn't (laughs) running. No. (laughs) Bree is packing some of Rex's things for when he moves out and Andrew offers to help her. This seems really out of character, but Mm. Andrew tells Bree that Rex told him about the affair. He asks why she's bothering to look after him and says that him and Danielle will help her throw him out onto the street if she wants. But Bree says that she's taking care of him because it's the right thing to do. Andrew calls Rex a jerk and Bree tells Andrew never to talk about his father like that because he may be a jerk but he will always be the love of her life. Then they share a moment as they walk back into the house together, hands on each other's shoulders. Really sweet scene. This is the best Andrew scene we've ever had. So far, yeah. (laughs) But surely it should worry, because it worries me and as a parent I would imagine it would worry Bree as well, that Andrew's morality is so centred on black and white. Yeah. Like, suddenly, oh wait, dad cheated. No, dad's the horrible one. And, kick him out. And Yeah, and let's <laughs> kick him out on the street and Bree, you're the greatest and, you know, surely you should be taking this moment to teach your child that it's not all black and white. I think she does a bit. She does, I think yeah. she handles this a bit well, actually, because she does say, you can't talk about him like that because, yes, he's a jerk, he's done this, but he's still your father, still the love of my life. So, so you must respect him. This is yeah. probably the most mature moment that Bree has had with her children handling this marriage. <laughs> yeah, and it's like Andrew stands there and says, why are you being a pushover? Mm. And it's like, since when is doing the right thing being a pushover? Yeah, you wanted this. Yeah, you Just... wanted your mum to do this. Your mum is doing the right thing by taking care of her still husband. You know, they're not broken up yet. And there is 18 years of marriage, I think, Bree said. You know, they've got that length of time of marriage and love and work and effort put into a relationship and you don't just throw it away when they're, even if they're ill and they're cheated. So yeah, no, I get that. But it it is a great scene. And it's nice to see Brie not in a golf sweater. (laughs) Like it was like an off the shoulder, like, blue sort of jumper type thing. It was really nice. I oh, We've been keeping track of those golf cardigans. I haven't seen one in this episode. We, I did not see one in this episode at all. It's always nice to have a scene where Andrew isn't acting like a monster. Yeah. We're getting to the end now. So um, Carl goes over to Susan's to apologise about Julie's birthday party. Surprised that Edie even brought that up. Mm. He then insists again 
that her and Mike don't have what they had and asks if they can get back together. Way out of left field, guys. Mm. Susan says no, and this is the moment she realises that she no longer loves Carl. She's been spending such a long time wondering if she still has these feelings for Carl. This is the moment she realises she doesn't love him anymore. So she then runs over to Mike's house and tells him she loves him, and they kiss. Right in front of a couple of detectives in the, in the, in the room. <laughs> yeah, a couple of police officers are there, or detectives, yeah. It's nice that we got this moment with her and Mike now. Yeah, it's nice, but she needs to stop kissing him. <laughs> the police are there. And she even says, oh, I've just got detectives here. They're asking me questions about Huber. And she's like, okay. And then she just carries on making out with him. This was such <laughs> a shock to me. I literally thought that as soon, when we saw those detectives, like, oh no. And I thought he was going to get arrested right there and then. <laughs> wow, they, they quick work. They found the jewelry already. Yeah. <laughs> So the episode ends as Mary Alice narrates that we're all searching for that special person in our lives to offer companionship, assistance, or security. And sometimes if we search hard enough, we can find someone who provides us with all three. Like me and Joel did. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. You give me companionship and assistance and security. You give me food. Thank you. Yeah, I do. I do. I do give him food. <laughs> We then have a montage which shows Brie asking George out on another date over the phone in front of Rex. Lynette calls a nanny agency to find an unattractive nanny. Gabby calls Carlos and says that he'll be getting off on bail as she found his passport. Susan tells Mike that she loves him on the phone again, to which he replies, Enough already. And a man on a jog comes across Martha Hoover's body when his dog digs up her hand. Paul clearly didn't rebury the body well enough. And that is where the episode ends. That is where the episode ends. Surely that passport would not be acceptable. She threw the passport in the fire and obviously she rooted it out where it hasn't, you know, melted because it's covered in plastic. So it's obviously not burnt away properly. And his picture's all burnt and the information's barely visible, like in the image that you see when she throws the passport on the side. Yeah. So surely that's not going to be acceptable. No, I don't think so. That is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, I mean, it clearly looks like it's been tampered with and surely that can't be acceptable given the circumstances. Yeah. Felicia and George are such oh, a welcome addition. and I'm so glad they're introduced now. We can barely even get into why they're such a welcome addition yet. No, not yet. stuff hasn't happened, but stuff is going to happen with these characters, guys. Yeah, I mean, George, we haven't seen much from. Felicia, you can already see why she's my favourite. Yeah, you don't Just even with the way she talks than a couple of lines and you're like, I see what she's about. Yeah, <laughs> the character is brilliant. The actress is fantastic stunning so yes stunning <laughs> so um no it's been a good episode loved it so good so episode move Very on good. what do we think it's about Moving on. Yes, but how do we think it fits into the episode? <laughs> this is very focused around Susan. Obviously, we, we get some stuff with the other housewives as well, obviously. But Susan finally learns to move on from Carl. Yeah. Mostly. Obviously, we do get Gabby sort of not trying to move on from Carlos, but move on from her dependence. Yeah. Codependence. Mm. And then, obviously, you have Brie, who's trying to move on from Rex. From Rex, yeah. And then Lynette, who's just moving. Moving on from getting bored with Claire? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Let's move on to our next segment, which is the best outfit of the episode. So we're going to move on to our local fashionista, Joel Taylor. <laughs> well, I wouldn't quite say fashionista, but um, the best outfit, I would have to say, would be Gabby. Of course. Because, obviously, it, it's a dress that I would wear. <laughs> Not that I would wear it, but if <laughs> if I wore dresses, or I was female who wore dresses, you never know, then um, I would wear that. 
It's a gorgeous colour. Can you please tell us what dress you are talking about? Oh, sorry, the blue one. (laughs) When she was at the mall and she was, you know, showcasing the Buick lacrosse, whatever the car was. The one that got stuck to the turntable. (laughs) (laughs) But Edie also looked very good in her dress at the karaoke party. Can you also please tell us, just for funsies, the worst? Oh, I wasn't paying much attention to the worst. Um, I don't know, it's probably Lynette. No offence, Lynette. The outfit that she wore at the mall. There was an outfit there. I just don't remember it. So I'm going to say that's the worst because it's not very memorable. <laughs> Honorary mention to Brie for not wearing any golf jumpers today. <laughs> On, yes, she deserves a little mention of that. Well done, Brie. Uh, what about your worst parent? You know, it was, it was pretty hard to think of a worst parent moment for this episode. There's not really a lot of parenty bits. I mm. normally, I generally seem to go for the main ladies and that but should we give it to carl we can give it to carl why are we giving it to maybe carl? we should give it to susan and carl for making that whole birthday celebration very awkward i know julie wasn't in the room but i'm sure this she'll find out she will find out about this in fact maybe we should give it to carl because of this whole thing with edie that is just embarrassing for julie I that is very embarrassing for julie and a special shout out of worst parent to Lynette, I say, for firing what was clearly a very talented nanny. Oh no, that was so bad. Why, why Lynette? Why? I mean, I understand obviously Tom was checking her out. But maybe the worst parent should go to Tom, really. <laughs> I think we should probably give the best parent award to Brie for this episode. Yes, yeah. For well, her frank honesty with Andrew. Her honesty and her maturity in handling this situation. Yes. So that was season one, episode 11, move on. And next week we'll be doing season one, episode 12. Every Hold day on. a little death. Every day a little death, that's it. <laughs> So if anyone wants to contact us via our socials, we are happy to answer questions and we do nice promos every other day for the show and such. Where can people find us, Joel? So you can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and on Twitter at BFS Review. We've also got email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and all of our artwork is done by our friend Louis. You can find him on Instagram at DocRedMonkDesign where you can also find a link to his Etsy page and he does do commission. He does. They're great. Have a good week and we will speak to you all soon. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.